Okay, podcast episode number eight. We're delighted to be joined by Dr. Paul Wood. Nice to see you, pal. Yeah, you too. Excellent. Uh, we were just saying with uh, Paul hurrying, one of the benefits of the PGA show for us is we get to be face-to-face with, with guys like yourself that are, you know, several thousand miles away. And, you know, it's we'll interact a few times through the year through the various mediums and social and that sort of stuff, but it's, it's better to be, to be face-to-face. So we're delighted to, to see you. Thank you. Excellent. You've got a real British theme today then with me and Paul. I know. Paul and <laughs> we, we really have done. We really have done. Trying to get all the, all the good guys on there. There you go. So tell us a little bit about kind of Ping in, in 2020. What's sort of going on? Well, I mean, you've, you know, obviously this is, this is the show. So we're yeah. launching a spring product. We've got a couple of things. It's, it's a relatively light launch season for us. Yep. We, our big G launches are not every 12 months. We try to stretch them out a bit. So right. G410 still still the main event at the yeah. moment um, but uh, you know and that's just for us and if I could have my way we'd launch stuff even less often I'd yeah. love to just be able to go away work on it for a few years sure. and then come out with it but the reality is <laughs> every now and again at least we have to bring out a product and um, so we've got you know we've got irons and putters today but we'll be we're really focusing on once we get back home it'll be really focusing on next year and, and you know and beyond or at least later this year so yeah it's a, i go with my role because i kind of oversee the various different departments mm-hmm. i have to switch between looking at innovation projects that are sort of two three four years sure. of, you know and then you start making decisions on design projects mm-hmm. that are, you know maybe 12 months out <laughs> and then you're looking at well hey the stuff that's going to be coming out in the summer yeah. so you keep switching switching hats yeah. and then so for this week it's very much spring 2020 mm-hmm. and the day I get home, it'll be, what's next? Wow. Where are we going? So, Very cool. So G710 uh, mm-hmm. uh, on the irons. So a slightly different take on the distance iron with loft coming down. There's a technology in the face. We, we had some time with Marty sort of talking about that. Yeah, our big thing is making sure we get we get the height and we get yeah. the stopping power. And we'll, we'll use whatever loft can get us there. Yeah. Um, so the 710, and we had it on the 700 too. We kind of in the whole design of the club, you're getting more flex in the face, which yeah. just gives you flat out ball speed, but then how the club flexes can give you more launch angle for a given loft. Yes. And so this is an iron where we try to really maximize that. We call it kind of the diving board effect yeah. of you get, as, it, as the club face flexes, it's flexing, but it's also kind of flexing back and, yeah. and rocking open. Yeah. So with a lower static loft, you can still get the launch angle and get the height. And that's what we really care about yeah. is like, what do you see on the course? Is the ball, Within reason, you want it to go as long as you can, but you've got to be able to stop it. Sure. So, sure. trying to get that balance, right? It's all trade-offs of more ball speed, more height, yeah. enough stopping power, and then really working on the looks. You know, people want to look at a player's looking iron, but yeah. they want the performance of a super game improvement iron. So, you try, that's the ideal thing: is to get both in the same package. That's, so true. that's the main thing we noticed at the show and seeing it a, a few months back of, of G710, you look down and you go, just from the color change, it looks so much better. It looks more like something that anyone can use, but the forgiveness that you have out of it is, is massive. Yeah, exactly. In some ways, you're trying to hide how forgiving an iron it is. You know, yeah. you're making it look as clean as you can. The black, obviously it looks really sharp, but the black actually helps it look smaller. Yeah, we really yeah. saw that. Yeah. I think Brandon actually said to us, he's like, is that smaller than the, the, yeah. the one we have in our demo drawer? And it's, it's not, it's the not. same size. You yeah. put them down next to each other and you can logically see they're the yeah. same size, but I mean, then visually you, you go, it's smaller, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's what we're going for. Look a little slimmer, look yeah. a little smaller. We do some stuff with the top rail to try to make it look smaller, mm-hmm. but you want to put mass up there. Yeah. So you're trying to balance, I know. you know, 
um, that side of it. So yeah. it's a lot. It's kind of playing with the golfer's psychology, For playing sure. into the golfer's psychology. When um, when you hear golfers and, and they sort of are, they're a little bit reluctant with the loft, sort of the decrease in loft and irons, and you hear that sort of thing. And obviously, I think all of our job is, is messaging when it comes to storytelling, when it comes to, you know, we're trying to help. We're, we're, not, we're not trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. Right. We're not trying to create distance for the sake of distance. At that trajectory, you know, sacrificing performance. There's, there's a real story deep behind the, the catapult effect from the face and the contribution yeah. from, from the technology. Yeah, and so our, you know, our view is trying to keep it as simple as we can in terms of giving people options but not making it overwhelmingly complicated. So we have, we have a power spec that's there if you really want to or need to in the fitting, right. launch it a little lower. Because some sure. players, didn't, no matter what loft of a 7-iron you give them, they could do with bringing the ball yeah. fight down. So for that player, going stronger in loft helps. It's huge, yeah. Equally, there's plenty of players out there that don't launch it high enough. Yeah. We have, on the opposite end, retrospect, if you, you can um, up the lofts a couple. And, you know, my dad's a great example. He's got super high swing speed, yeah. but he's very low ball flight. Mm -hmm. You give him a bit more launch, he, he hits it further. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's just a fitting variable. You know, right. you can, there's no magic about loft. There's no magic about a 7-iron being sure. 33 degrees or 31 degrees or 30 degrees. Yeah. It's, it's just you know looking at the whole set. I know you guys do a great job of that. And you're not just buying a seven iron; you're buying the whole set. So make sure what you buy works for a seven iron, but it also works in your five iron, sure. and it also works in your wedge, yeah. and you don't suddenly have a thirty-yard gap from your wedge to your sandwich or whatever. It's part of the challenge, I think, now of, of set composition when we get players in. Is we, we may go a certain direction with with a, an iron, say, but either side of that irons with the wedges and their hybrids and woods are they're not in alignment with, with what we're trying to do or what's best for that customer, but we only have the opportunity. They've only came for an iron fit. Yeah. So it can sometimes be tricky trying to kind of make that You're blend sort of and not be a disruption to the whole thing. Tie it thing. into the set, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd say you know, probably the only two clubs in the bag that you really fit independently are driver and putter. Yeah. Everything, everything else is part of part of this set makeup, right. and it's got to fit in with the rest of the set. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. It's something our fitters would do too if, if we're fitting someone for a set of irons and you know we know that their consistency with a six iron what we fit off isn't as as high as we'd want it we would run into a five hybrid or six hybrid or whatever it may be and then then we can build a set that matches their their hybrids to give them the best gapping yeah. as much as possible it's it's hard though because it's a more complicated story and a more complicated conversation to have yeah. and i think a lot of players aren't necessarily thinking that way, so you have to guide them a bit. Without a doubt. I think things like Arcos and, and seeing your data and going, oh look, there is a huge gap in my bag yeah. of real shots I'm hitting on real courses yeah. will probably help people get their head around that a bit more. That Okay, right, my gapping looks great for my irons, sure. and my shots look great with my three wood, but yeah. I have this huge gap in between, and I don't have a club there. So yeah. I'm hoping that'll, that'll help players start thinking more about the full set makeup. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I think if someone comes to us and they're maybe unsure where to start with our services, whether it's a driver fit or an iron fit, I like to get them into the the, uh, the bag analysis. Let's look at your overall setup. Let's come in and just do a bag review. Start, we'll get you to hit from, from top to bottom. Let's just hit it and then we'll, we'll look at it together. We'll see where there's red flags. We'll see what's working and not. And we'll see where the opportunities are. Perhaps there's something we see in the delivery that, that none of the stuff is really matched up well or, or you know, that type of thing. So um, that's a nice place for, I think, to start yeah. where you can then give them advice. Okay, focus more on that one. There's nothing worse when you see someone come in for the driver fit. They hit their driver pretty good, but you're looking over at the irons going, they're not good. That's not working. 
you know, so you want to be at least getting them into the right fit. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. Uh, Arcos is a, a really good segue. Um, you know, we've started to look at it a little bit more and the contribution we can make to our clients with regards to not just taking care of them in the transaction and, and in, the, in the kind of fit itself, we want that ongoing relationship where we can continue to analyze their performance and you guys have just, just put Arcos on, on all your iron sets. Yeah, so it's available on everything, it's no upcharge on everything, yep. it's actually the default grip now on our G710 awesome. is the Arcos embedded. So it's the kind of strongest message we can say that look, we've, we've baked in this technology yep. at no upcharge for you. Mm-hmm. What's not to like? Yeah. You know, um, and, and it won't be for everyone, you know, yeah. some people just want to go out on the golf course and be completely untethered and, yeah. you know, and that's fine. But sure. uh, there's so much you can learn about your game. Yeah. And we've always taken the, the, the last stage of the fitting is mm. to go and see how it did, right? Yeah. Go and, and then, you know, tour players do this as a matter of course every week, right? Yeah. They, they get a fitting, they change something, and then the, did it actually work on the practice range sure. and then did it translate to the course? And if yeah. it didn't, let's course correct, let's change something. Yeah. So that's, we've always encouraged players to look at it that way. You bought a set of irons, but we built them so we can always tweak them. Yeah. You know, we can, the lie angles are not quite right. Let us know, we yeah. can tweak them. That Nothing's kind of permanent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. yeah, we can modify it. I mean, I think the caddy feature will be really interesting for people to almost, with, with more data and, and, and more consistent sort of more shots in the system to, for the caddy feature to be, you know, giving advice on players. Whereas maybe, you know, we see players all the time under club and thinking they hit it maybe a fraction further than they do. It will be interesting if people start to see better scores and getting, you know, hit a few more greens in regulation as a result of, of the technology. Yeah, I think so. I mean, just having, having some objective data sure. makes such, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to make the smartest decisions. Sure. I've overridden the caddy plenty of times. Yeah. I'm like, no, I don't care what you say. I know I can get a seven yeah, on there and yeah. I'm going to prove you wrong. But, you know, that's <laughs> like part of the challenge. Fun. But if I was playing in the competition, I yeah. might be more inclined to, uh, <laughs> to listen to the caddy. So it just adds another, it's another tool in the toolbox, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that data collection can help us with, again, fitters pull up our, their customer's profile and they look and they go, we just fit you for this driver six months ago and yeah. look, at your, look at your consistency now from your previous driver and, and, and like you said, let's find your faults and work on those uh, going forward. Yeah. I, th- I think Arcos is, is, is really impressive. Yeah, yeah, I think for us, being able to sort of almost preempt the, the need for a call or a conversation with a customer, let them know that you know what your fit or your golf coach or whoever is using it with a student, we're always watching. You know, we're always analyzing, we're making sure you're good and we can maybe see a problem before they can. Maybe you know they're looking at we can see a consistent, you know, miss with a specific club left or right or whatever it may be, not quite yeah. separating the yardage gaps and you know we can address that with them and that, that constant process of, of adjusting the clubs as they, you know, as they have always players is really useful to us. Right, agreed. I think another really good area is wedges where actually showing people what do you really use your wedge for the most. Right. You know, we all get, we try, tend to pick a comfortable shot yeah. and, and, you know, look at wedges by, you know, hitting a full swing or a three-quarter swing, yeah. you know, off a nice perfect lie and, and kind of judging how the wedge is working based on that. But yeah. then you look at your Arcos data and say, oh man, I'm like five times more likely to be hitting a chip out of the rough. Yeah than I am hitting a full swing out of the middle of the fairway. Maybe I should be at least guiding my wedge thoughts around how it performs on chip shots and yep. that kind of stuff than, uh, yep. you know, than full swings. So that stuff can be really helpful. Yep. 
G410. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was kind of widely considered in, in most of the, the, the club fitting shops that, that I kind of communicate with as the gold standard when it came to, you know, wood performance last year, all the way through driver, fairy hybrid, it was fantastic. What was the sort of reaction in-house when you guys got that product and saw the results in the field? It's been great. I mean, you know, you know, you know how it does in our testing internally, yeah. but there's always this somewhat slight unknown of when yeah. we launch it out into the field exactly how it's going to go. Like we know what it does, yeah. but um, and particularly when you've had a big success, G400 was a big success. It's hard to back up a big one, you know, and it's and there's a tendency to want to try to not change too much, keep things the same, and so we we had to be pretty brave with G410 to right. like put in some fairly major new technologies and get out of the comfort zone, yeah. give people a reason to try it. And it's been, it's been really, really good, really heartening. Um, so yeah, you do, you know, there's always a certain, it's kind of like sort of sending your child off into the big wide world and <laughs> it must go, be, yeah. go earn your fortune, son, you know. Um, and it's great when you start to get that initial feedback yeah, and, yeah. And, and people are reacting with, to it the way you hope and, sure. and it's, you know, all the hard work's paid off, so. But now it gives us a bigger yeah. challenge again next time because we always have to prove mm. the next club is better than the last one. Yeah, yeah. So the better we make them, the harder it is. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a good challenge to have. Do you ever get that you know, sort of butterflies in your, your tummy when, when a, a big product launch is going out there and you're, you're waiting to see how it's received by the world and you're, you've kind of got that feeling of like, what are they going to say? Yeah, no, there is, because there's so much stuff you can't control. Sure. We control all the things we can control yeah. and, and, and trust the process and you know and that's where having having a great team and having a great process and, and being confident in the testing we do yeah. is helpful but you still we can't control what everyone else is doing yeah. we can't control the competition we can't control you know some of that early tour feedback sure. and that can be quite meaningful like mm. so yeah you just I know it, it, it must be at times it must be a little gut-wrenching at times when you see it going out there um, Ping has always been known for technology, engineering, uh, never rushing a product into the market. Um, when it came to the adjustable hosel, you waited until there was, there was no trade-offs and sacrifices to the original hosel. Movable weight technology took a little bit longer to get there. Tell us a little bit about that in-house philosophy at Ping and how those conversations go. Yeah, it, and it very much does come back to um, this, you know, we have to prove that a product is better before yeah. we can launch it. And our, you know, our most sort of stringent critics are John Solheim and John K. Solheim, right. who both have engineering backgrounds. You know, John has been making golf clubs for 61 years now. He knows a few things about, <laughs> you know, about golf club technology and is very passionate about the details of the engineering. Yeah. Um, and John K. exactly the same. He's got an engineering degree. Mm -hmm. He's worked in golf all his life. Yeah. He knows an absolute ton about, about it. And we sit down every week with the two of them and my whole team yeah. and go over everything about the designs. And the, the mantra is, you can put whatever new feature you want in as long as you can prove there's no backward step anywhere. Yeah. So you mentioned the hosel. Sure. That was, we can do adjustable hosels as soon as we like. Mm -hmm. As long as you can prove there's no aerodynamic cost, <laughs> which is challenging on a hosel. For sure. And there's no weight cost, mm -hmm. we're not giving up performance or forgiveness yeah. or anything like that. And same with the adjustable weight. So it's not like we we didn't just suddenly decide last year, you know what, I think it'd be a really good idea yeah. to give players the ability to adjust left yeah. flight ball flight, right? Obviously we've known that forever. But it was the no sacrifice piece. Can we do it in a way where our moment of inertia of the driver is still the highest in the industry? Yeah. Can we do it in a way yeah. where center of mass is not affected? Because mm -hmm. you build a weight channel and you're putting weight 
you're tying up weight in the club yeah. somewhere you could have been using it somewhere else. So you see on the G410 driver, it's way in the back. That was a bigger engineering challenge. It's a really sure. awkward place to try to put a channel. Yeah. But it means that you're adding weight where we were going to be adding weight anyway. Right. And so that was, it was no, no sacrifice is a phrase we use a lot. Yeah. No, no backward steps. Yeah. Um, and so it takes a little longer, but when you, if you can do it, then there's no downsides because there's no point making one thing better only to make something else worse. And what have you really gained? Sure. You're kind of shuffling around features. Mm -hmm. We want to always be trying to add features without taking a backward step. Yeah. And with the massive R&D team, then you have your tour guys, they put a ton of input in with when designing a new product? You know, probably less than you'd think. Um, we do, obviously, we do care what our tour players think quite deeply. Um, and, and we use them, I'd say, to try to understand what are they looking to do? You know, what are the shots they want to hit that they can't hit quite as well as yeah. they would like to be? What, what you don't do is ask them, well, hey, what's the club you would like us to design? Because they're not club designers and that's not their job. The ideal relationship with the tour players, you tell us about your game and what you want, and then we'll try to figure out how to deliver that for you. So one of the most pleasing things is when a player tests a new product and says, this is better. I don't know why it's better, but it's better. And that's perfect. Like you don't, you don't need to know or care why it's better. Let us worry about that. Yeah. That's our job. You go figure out how to win tournaments yeah. and trust that you've got the best clubs in the industry. So it, it, effectively, we don't want them thinking too deeply about all the technology in there. We want them playing golf and yeah. doing what they do. And tr we want them to trust us. <laughs> what's uh, in-house in at Ping, what's the sort of feeling in terms of where can people continue to see improvement? Where are they? Are they kind of maybe still have the biggest opportunity to improve their handicaps with regards to equipment? I think there's still gains to be had across the board. Yeah. I really do. I think um, I think there are certain areas like like with putting where really doing some stuff to link why do certain players genuinely putt better with one putter or yeah. another? And you know, I think buying a putter right now can be a pretty overwhelming experience for golfers. You know, we offer probably. 25 different putters you can buy and we're just one brand yeah. so you know you guys are selling all the brands that's a lot of <laughs> yeah that's a lot of putter choice that people have so trying to figure out how to narrow that down to based on your swing and the way you putt and, and the things that are important to you and the feels you have and the psychology how do we help narrow that down and give you confidence that the putter that looks good and feels good and works well for you in the lab is actually going to translate to putting better still six months down the line right it's pretty easy to convince yourself a putter's work great because you picked it up and it looked good and you hold three in a row. Yeah. But you get out into a real green and under pressure and it's, the mechanics of the putter are not really working for you. But yeah. you've, you've been led to think that they were. So I, I mean, there's a, combining the human piece with the engineering piece is yeah. something that's really tricky. You know, we're a hard engineering type company. We're, we're founded on mechanical engineering, on material science. Yeah. We're really strong in those areas. I think there's some gains to be made trying to link that more with the psychology side of how does that play into a golfer. Um, our new putters with the flat face, I think is a recognition of, you know what, I think we, we've underestimated how important the sound feedback is for certain players, mm. not everyone. Mm. Some players really actually don't want the putter to sound much at all, sure. but a lot of players use that sound feedback a lot, whether yeah. they consciously throw it or not. So that's a human piece, that's, a, that's not a hard engineering, that's sure. a psycho, but it's a good point. But it ends up in real performance. Yeah. So how do we blend the moment of inertia and the center of masses with the 
visual, the way your mind works, the way your ears interpret sound, that, that kind of stuff. So that's where I think we're focusing a lot of effort is you know, um, acoustics, visuals, how it actually translates to real performance, not just what looks pretty, yeah. which is also important, sure. but, but how does it really play into playing the best? Yeah. Acoustics uh, is a big one, because every time a new driver comes out, yeah. people go, what does it sound like? Yeah. Oh, does it sound like a tin can? Oh, do, you know, does it sound like that tour strike that it should sound like all the time? And, and we, get, we get it asked all the time. It, we post videos on new drivers, and the first thing people say, it sounds much better than the previous model, or whatever it is. So acoustics is the biggest. Yeah, and there's a real emotional connection with yeah. the acoustics piece. It's, it's hard to pin down because players use such wildly differing language in terms of how they describe it. They'll, say, you know, they'll have an opinion on whether it sounds good, but when you ask someone to really describe, you didn't like the sound of that, what didn't you like about it, then the words they use don't necessarily match up with the physics of what's going on, and you have to be really careful picking through all that. Um, so linking, again, linking the people side with the actual engineering side of the sound is is crucial. With uh, when you went from G400 to G410, and like you said, you knew you had uh, such a golden product in G400, and obviously the acoustic engineering that went into that, there would have been some challenges, obviously, that came with making uh, a product with with effectively holes in it. So the ports were the weight when the yep. weight was going around it. So you know, what sort of challenge did that provide to the team to try and retain as much of that great kind of acoustic engineering and but also have technology paired with that? Yeah, it's like it's hard with drivers and I think with to be honest with all clubs with sound that mm. it's really difficult to truly simulate everything about the sound yeah. before you've made a prototype. So with right. a lot of our things, we can design something virtually yeah. in, you know in CAD. We can do all sorts of you know, crash simulations and have really good, um, really good predictability about how durable that product's going to sure. be. We very rarely bring in prototypes that fail quickly these days because our simulations are so good in that area. We have great aerodynamic simulations. We've got a really good understanding of aerodynamically how efficient the club is going to be before we ever prototype it. Because yeah. prototyping takes time. Sound is really tough. Yeah. We can get some idea from simulations, sure. but to really truly have confidence that I know exactly how it's going to sound from the simulation is tough. So there's still a pretty big experimental piece to it. Yep. So you, you do what you can with simulation, you do what you can in the prototyping phase. And then you have to rely on your knowledge of like how to fix little sound issues yep. that come up. And so we, we actually still spend quite a bit of time on fine tuning, dialing in the sound once we've gone and gone through the prototyping process, which is it's a pain and it's a lot of resources, but it's worth it, so we, we spend the time on it. And it's got to be within a range, doesn't it? Because you've got so many variables that are involved, such as yeah. strike point changes acoustic, golf ball compression will change acoustic. Yeah. So within that Different range, ball brands. it's hard even, to always control that. Yeah, and even just the environment. Absolutely. So we, we'll, we'll test outside. Yeah. If you're testing under a cover outside, mm -hmm. it sounds different to if you're testing out in the open. Yeah. Indoors, again, sounds different, but it depends on the shape of the room yep. and how much echo there is. So, there's a lot, there's an awful lot to it. Yep. And then players' tastes even change, you know, the same player might mm -hmm. describe a sound differently a couple of years later. Mm -hmm. um, so players' tastes change over time. It's, yep. it's a hard one to pin down. Where's, where's the opportunity, uh, when it's, let's, let's say the metal wood, where's the opportunity to keep going, you know, in, in a progressive, you know, sort of direction with that? You know, what do we have left? Because they're pretty good right now. 
Yeah, although, you know, to be honest, I've been getting that question as long as I've been at Ping, and yeah. I've been at Ping since 2005, Absolutely. and, you know, we had drivers in 2005 that could get to the USGA CT yep. limit. We had drivers that were, you know, really high moment of inertia, and, and I was getting that question then, is there really much yep. to be to be had in yep. drivers, and here we are in 2020, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I think everyone would agree drivers in 2020 are a lot better than they were in 2005 yes. uh, across the board. Yeah. This, it's getting harder and harder to find big improvements. So we find a lot of our improvements by adding up small things. We call it incremental gains. That's right. a, a more well-known phrase in Britain, yeah. I think, with the success of the British cycling team and yeah. the incremental gains approach and how Absolutely. that's all worked. Um, you know, over here, people are less familiar with that term. But yeah. really what it means is, is taking everything we can think of about how to design a better driver and what would constitute performance on a golf course and making a whole bunch of stuff 1% better yeah. rather than making one thing 10% better. And I love, I love that. Yeah, um, I think the Dave Allred approach to that stuff is, is phenomenal. Right, exactly. So that's a big part of you know, where I think there's gains to be made. You know, we're in a pretty good shape aerodynamically, yeah. but there's still some gains to be made. We can get almost all the way up to the mo moment of inertia limit now but you could then say, well, now we could start maybe making smaller drivers that still hit the limit. There's still gains to be made. So they tend to come from materials, yep. they tend to come from manufacturing yeah. technologies. You know, our designers have some ideas about what they would love to do if right. we just had the technology to catch mm -hmm. up. So, sure. um, yeah, I'd say, you know, at least the next five or 10 years, there's plenty more to be done. And yep. then let's chat in 2030 and see where we are. And that's it. I mean, I think there's a lot of chatter right now with regards to where the, the products are where we were maybe maybe not 05 but maybe 15 16 17 how far you know better or how much better are we now how much have we advanced it what are the buying cycles that people should be looking to address their their, their equipment um so is it every, every year every, every three years five years yeah that's I mean, that's a great question i'm probably the wrong person to ask i think you should probably get new equipment really quite frequently yeah. no, but um <laughs> Realistically, you know, some of it depends how much you play, right? Sure. So a driver's not going to wear out, yeah. right? Your driver, unless you're putting some serious abuse on it, your driver's not going to wear, like, like a wedge with, with enough play, those grooves will start to wear and, yeah. and you will see a performance degradation yeah. and you need to refresh those. So we recommend, you know, particularly players that play a lot, yeah. don't have to be good players, but players who play a lot, probably look at getting fresh wedges yep. you know once a year um, and, and the pros even more often because they put a lot of shots on them I think with the with something like a driver you know we see a lot of players maybe looking at sort of skipping one generation and yeah. every sort of two to three years is probably a pretty good time to look at you know that's two generations of drivers as if that's twice as many innovations we've been able to pack in sure. um, but you know, we feel confident that we can show every year, that, yeah. or at least every kind of 18 months when we launch a new driver, mm -hmm. we've got some genuine improvements, we've got some genuine reasons why it's worth trying. Yeah. You know, we're not expecting everyone to replace the driver every 18 months. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of money to spend on golf, but there'll be, there'll be people out there that see the benefits. But if you're playing a seven, eight-year-old driver, you really should look at coming in. And there's a lot we've done in those, in those intervening years to make it better and make golf easier for you. For sure, for sure. Ping are uh, one of the only companies, if not the only company, that's very involved in the shafts that go into your products. A lot of engineering and, and that stuff is, is designed in-house. Um, tell yeah. us a little bit about you know, why you feel very strongly that, that that should not be an outsourced component. I, basically because the whole thing's a system, right? You don't buy 
a golf club head yep. or a shaft, by themselves they're useless. Yep. Um, you buy a golf club, right? And so it's a system. They they interact with each other. The shaft influences, you know, the head. The head influences the shaft. Mm -hmm. they, they they come together as a package and and the grip as well. So so to us, it's very important. We have to be experts in the whole system. We need to be experts in shafts, and as experts in shafts, we feel like we can do a pretty good job of tuning the shaft, at least the stock shaft in our club, for the head it goes with. You know, that said, we want to have plenty of options, so we have, I think, a pretty good hybrid model of having some of our own ping design shafts working with the major shaft companies. I mean, often we're working with a Mitsubishi, we're working with a UST, sure. someone like that, to develop our shafts, um, but we'll have control of the design, and I think you get the best of both worlds. Yeah, I think while the, there's still a there's still a transition to be made. More people are being cu uh, custom fit than ever before, mm -hmm. but it's still a minority versus the way people buy off the shelf and that sort of thing. So, I think it's I think it's a, a phenomenal thing that you guys appreciate that and, and make sure that the, the shaft isn't an afterthought. You know, it's, it has to work in that system in order to get the best you know performance for the person who maybe isn't being fit. You know, and it might be a great option for the fitting as well, but at least you have other options. Yeah, absolutely. And I think all we, ho all we hope is that players keep an open mind and try a few shafts and just play the one that works best for them. There's yeah. some great aftermarket shafts out there. Yeah. We absolutely know, you know the same shaft does not suit everyone. Sure. So we put a range out there and, and go try a few. There's no yeah. substitute for a little bit of trial and error with 100%. shafts because it's a complicated business. I know yeah. a lot about shafts. I know you know a lot about shafts. It takes a very brave man to look at someone swing once and say, you know, yeah. that is the shaft for them. You, it's a really complicated yeah. interaction. You're loading this thing and unloading it in 3D space, sure. you know, in a quarter of a second. Yeah. So, uh, so there's a certain amount of trial and error really, really works with shafts. Yeah, yeah we always say that when it comes to shaft testing, you know, we're, we're allowed to be wrong, 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 and eventually right. You know, but it's that process of elimination, it's, it's the problem solving that goes along the way with it. Yeah, and at least we find, for like a, you know, an expert can really help guide you, let's narrow this down to these two or three to try, right? Out of the, out of the wall of shafts you see, yeah. I'll help get us in the ballpark and then we'll, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll trial a few. There's, there's some sort of softwares and systems and, and the way sort of, you know, AI is, is being sort of somewhat integrated into, into golf now. Do you ever see a day where there's there's an elimination process that's, that's sort of computer based for, for shafts and pattern recognition? I think it'll I think it'll get more and more prominent, mm -hmm. um, and you know, and we've used some of that kind of approach, you yeah. know, to to supplement. But I think it supplements. You know, artificial intelligence is still only as good as the human intelligence that's programmed it, right? right? And so it, it's kind of a buzzword in the industry right now. It's you know, it's basically using software tools in a sophisticated fashion sure. is artificial intelligence. Yeah. We definitely do some of that already. Yeah. I think it'll continue to continue to improve and evolve, mm -hmm. but getting someone the perfect shaft is a very is a very human interaction and you don't know exactly how the human's gonna respond to a new shaft. You know, right. we've done some great research of having players hit different shafts and some players pretty much swing the same no matter what you give them. Yeah. Other players adapt a lot based on the feedback they get from the shaft, mm -hmm. and so it's a, that's a really tough one to pin down, yeah. even with AI, to really know for sure. When I put this shaft in someone's hands and they feel a difference at the start of the backswing, how's that going to impact the human part of the system? Yeah. 
completely agree. Yeah. Um, wedges, when it comes to sort of, we've done some friction testing on the back of, of kind of know what you guys have been doing and hearing a little bit about the evolution of Hydro Pearl and, and kind of what that's been doing in house at Ping. Talk to us a little bit about that and, and kind of what the, the philosophy was behind controlling conditions. Yeah, it was cool when I saw your video, it reminded me of our, our visit out to you a couple of years ago and yeah. we were chatting about, you know, how do you, when you're indoors with wedges, right. you know, how do you better match what's going on on the course? And yeah. uh, so it was really, you know, nice to see you guys working on that. And, um, you know, I think that we've been trying to figure that out a lot ourselves. Wedge testing is really hard because it's not a one-trick pony. Sure. You know, in a sense, driver testing is a little easier. Yeah. Roughly speaking, you're trying to do the same thing mm. every time you step up on the tee and hit your drive, yeah. roughly. Um, with a wedge, it's completely different. Every single time you pull the wedge out of the bag, you're doing something slightly different yeah. with it. And we know that the environment makes such a huge difference. So all the stuff we do with hydropole and grooves, it's all aimed at giving you predictable flight from a range of conditions on the course. In idealized conditions, if you're hitting off a tee or if you're hitting indoors off a mat, yeah. you don't need the grooves. Yeah. You don't need sure. the hydropole particularly. You're going to get functional spin yeah. pretty much whatever you do. In right. fact, we've, that's the demo we brought today uh, to the show is we brought some grooveless wedges and polished the face. So it's a glide three with completely polished face. And you look at it, and even I look at it and think, <laughs> am I really going to be able to spin yeah. this? And I know the physics. But when it's dry, you just get enough grip from, uh, yeah. you know, just from the surface contact. And you can spin that thing, not quite as much as a grooved wedge, but pretty close. Pretty close. You know, we were doing some 75-yard shots, getting like 8,500 spin maybe with, uh, with the grooves and sort of 7,800 spin without right. the grooves, with a polished face. Mm. But as soon as you spritz a tiny little bit of water in there, which is, just gives you a little bit of a simulation of slight, a little bit of rough, a little yeah. bit of dew, a little bit of... Then we're a golf course, sure. right? Golf courses have water. You know, <laughs> grass is mostly water. Yeah. Um, unless you're playing on an absolutely bone-dry golf course, there's almost always some level of moisture that gets right. in. Just the, the wedge brushing the ground actually mm. throws a little bit of water up in there. So there's always a tiny bit of moisture in there. So having like a spritz of a water bottle just helps simulate a little bit more what the golf course is throwing at you. And that's when you see the benefit of the grooves and the benefit of the face patterns we have and the hydro hydrophobic uh, stuff. So, you know, that was what the, the, the idea of the demo is to get players thinking about that a little more. Like, if you just go into a simulator bay at your local store and just hit some wedges, sure. they're all going to spin fine. It's a fairly level playing field. They're all going to spin fine. Yeah. And in fact, if anything, you know, the better, the better grooves, you might not see a, a, an improvement at all. Yeah. But as soon as you put some media in there, some sure. water, some grass, whatever, and now we're just starting to see the real reality. So yep. it's cool to see you guys doing that demo. We, yeah. we really feel like it's a, it's a very impactful demo in terms of A, showcasing the technology, but B, educating people about when do the grooves and the, uh, and the face patterns really make a difference. Yeah, yeah I think that, that when you tell people that you can spin a grooveless wedge about as much as a grooved wedge, People will scratch their head and go, well, I always thought the grooves and the, the sharpness of the edges and how many there are in the pattern, and that was that was what creates the spin. That's what creates the friction, but it's just, yeah. you know. And it's, it's, you know, it's almost true. It, yeah. That's what creates the spin when you don't have like nice dry conditions mm -hmm. and, and enough Correct. bite just from the surface contact. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. 
Well, Paul, appreciate your time. Uh, we could go on for, for hours and hours debating the whole the whole industry and equipment and where it's all going, but uh, we really do appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me Thanks on. Well. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks.